Hey there, it's Darius Faroo, and welcome to a new episode of the Darius Faroo Show. Today, I am joined by my guest, Amanda Imber. Welcome. Hello, it's good to be here. You recently published a book about the things that you've learned over the last several years and starting a podcast. And uh, your podcast is called How I Work, right? Yeah, yes. Remember correctly, your uh, book is called Time Wise, and it's definitely up my alley about habits and productivity and improving focus and all of the good things um, in in life and work. In your book, I read that around 2008, you started your podcast, but I want to back up a little bit more because I also noticed that you published another book in 2016. I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've published a couple of books. I think yeah. 2009 was my first one and then oh, wow. uh, published yeah. a book in 2016 as well. Oh, wow. Okay. So uh, let's get started with your writing career. So how did that happen? Oh, gosh, I don't even think of it as a writing career, but maybe <laughs> I should. Um, so look, at it started my first book, The Creativity Formula was was written because I felt like with the consultancy that I'd started a, a couple of years prior to that invent here, we were doing a lot of work around how could people think more creatively and using an evidence-backed approach. And I was finding that there was all this great research hidden in academic journals, particularly in psychology journals, um, which is my field, and no one knew about them. So I thought I'm going to write a book and try to unpack some of this complex academia and just make it really simple and practical for people to to instantly improve their creativity. Mm. And uh, so your background is uh, as an organizational psychologist. And um, well, not, not all psychologists start thinking about writing a book. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, but, but I'd love to go back and kind of capture your mindset of, uh, you know, thinking about uh, doing this because uh, you know I, a lot of experts and um, people who have experience and something to say listen to the podcast or read my blog and and you know all you know wonderful people smart people who have a lot to offer but often it's not something they think about to kind of capture their experience or knowledge or ideas and share them with the world or with with a group of people how did you, you know, because it also takes some courage, right? To to go out there and, and publish or create videos or a podcast. Um, how did you uh, make that first step? Oh, I, I think it was identifying a combination of what I was really passionate about, which at the time was taking more of a science or evidence-based approach to how we could think more creatively, but also looking at the books that were available in the field around creative thinking and creative problem solving and thinking, yeah, I feel like there's a gap here. I think if someone else would have written a book that was you know, making all that complex science around creativity just really simple and practical for people, I probably wouldn't have written the creativity formula. You know, I think that there are lots of books and there are lots of great books out there, but there are also lots of ordinary books out there that, um, that, that kind of lack value or novelty in what they're saying. And that's sad for the trees that have been cut down to distribute <laughs> that knowledge. And, and so for me, I guess it, it wasn't, it wasn't so much about this passion to write a book. It was just kind of going, I've got this stuff that I want to disseminate to people and make more accessible. What's the best way to do that? And at the time, a book felt like the best way to do that. Yeah, that's really a, a great way to look at it, to see that you have something that you want to share and the best vehicle to do that at the time was a, was a book. And and then what what happened in between all of that time? Because there's a long time between <laughs> your first book and your podcast, which you started yes. in 2018. So what happened? It's obviously a long <laughs> what, time. <laughs> what happened in between? Yeah. I worked. Uh, so I, I ran I ran my consultancy in bed here, which which grew, um, you know, in size and employing people, and was very busy with that. I did, I did 
stopped to write a second book, which was published in 2016, which was about how organisations can create um, a culture of innovation, which was the area that I was really focused in on at the time with my research. And I, I wrote that um, while I was on maternity leave, actually. Mm. So I, I literally wrote that book while my yeah. daughter was napping. <laughs> she was very good with the naps. And whenever she would nap, I knew I had essentially a two-hour sprint. Uh, so I would get really productive and really focused. And, and I wrote the book during that time. And then in terms of um, starting the podcast, How I Work, which then turned into my latest book, TimeWise, uh, look, I mean, the the podcast, yeah, I started that four years ago. And that was really this... It, it was it was really scratching my own itch. Um, you know, I, I started to get really curious about how I was using my own time because I didn't think I was using it all that well. I felt like I was really, um, you know, easily distracted. I was getting interrupted all the time at work. I felt like I was just losing track of my own goals. At the time, I was CEO of Inventium, so so running it. I've since demoted myself. I don't run it anymore. Um, but at the time, I I felt very unfocused and very unproductive. And I I thought surely the world's most successful people are using their time differently to how I'm using my time. And I and I wanted to learn. And at around the time of thinking about this idea for a podcast, I was um attending my first TED proper event conference in Vancouver, where I was going to have access to all these amazing thinkers like people like Adam Grant and Amanda Palmer and Matt Mullenweg and and amazing people like that and so um those two kind of things collided and so I was able to to get some guests uh through that conference and people that I met which um was really great I think with a podcast something that I found is that if you can secure some great guests then it's easier to get more great guests. Mm, yeah. And so it kind of flew from there um, four years back. Yes. And then time-wise, my latest book was taking really the best things that I've learned from how I work in terms of the different strategies that my guests were using to use their time more wisely and putting that into a book because not everyone has the luxury to listen to hundreds of hours of podcast <laughs> content to, to get strategies to live a better life. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing that um that I hear, hear more often is that people, particularly achievers or people who are already doing well, they 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 are very critical of their own productivity and uh, focus. And uh, when I heard you talking about how how you were a little bit frustrated with the way that you spend your time, I, I would assume that it was already. A lot better than <laughs> most people, <laughs> but still, you you had the uh, the the ambition to to do even better, right? Is that mm. is that a common trait that you've seen with um, with people who would probably listen to your podcast or read uh, these types of books? And I think we have a very similar audience, you know, writing about productivity and focus, etc. So I think uh, I can relate to that as well. But um, yeah, yeah. I actually, yeah, I do hear that a lot with my guests, you know, like I'll, I'll interview, um, you know, say like a, a New York times bestselling novelist, um, you know, someone that sold like millions of copies of their books and, 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 and they will, I remember one of them commented to me, you know, that, that her husband asked her, what are you doing on a productivity podcast? <laughs> um, like you're not, you're not the, you know, the beacon of light for productivity, but, uh, um, yeah, I I do find that a lot with guests that, you know, they're, they're very humble, I guess, in how they think about their time and that they do see that there's so much room for improvement. And um, and for me, I don't see it as humility. I just go, I've just got so much room for improvement. Um, you know, like I feel like I, I learn so much, you know, like you do, um, Darius, through your work. And, you know, there's there's just like an infinite number of things that you can do to be better. And and generally for me, I, I like to think about my life as just a series of experiments. And, you know, one week I might try something and see how that goes and just, you know, observe how that changed my behavior. And, you know, there, there's sort of no 
no pressure to have to stick with that for the rest of my life. But if it works, great. And I'll double down on it. And if it doesn't, I'll try something else. Because I think it's really easy to get overwhelmed by all these great strategies that are that are out there that will improve your life. Yeah, because I, you know, the one of the themes that I kind of noticed in, in your book as well is that you want to focus on productivity, but not at all costs uh, and kind of think about how you can avoid burnout. And these are the things that I've always uh, been focused on as well, because I, I personally think it's useless to go really hard for maybe a few years or maybe even a few months and then completely burn out and then go through this whole yo-yo cycle. How, how have you uh, found your guests or yourself dealing with that? Because I, what I like about this concept is that everybody deals with it in a different way. And that, that makes it interesting, but also hard at the same time, because if, if you are going about your own career, um, you might see someone, someone doing something that helps them to manage uh, productivity and not getting burned out, but maybe that might not work for you. So have you found some strategies that, that, that are helpful for people to figure out what works best for them? Well, look, something that I do myself, um, so my consultancy in Ventium for the last two years has uh, adopted the four-day week. Um, and so for listeners that are not familiar with that concept, um, certainly it's it's gaining popularity in various countries, is that uh, my team, uh, so my team are all full-timers and I am you know, technically full-time in my business. Um, so we're paid full-time salary but we're only expected to do four normal length days. So four, seven or eight hour days, but with the expectation that our productivity will still be that of someone that is working full-time hours. So it it's, you know, it's a big time constraint kind of going, hmm, I've lost a day uh, in work time and really makes you much more mindful about how you do use the days that you are working, which for us at Inventium is Monday through to Thursday. So I have mm -hmm. every Friday off. And, you know, it's not to say that I never work on Fridays because I I often do do an hour or two or, you know, if I'm speaking at an event, for example, which I am this Friday and I was a couple of Fridays ago, I will still work for an hour or two to, you know, travel to the venue and speak and so forth. But, um, but it's a choice and it also makes me, and I know the other people on the team highly productive on Monday to Thursday, um, because if we do get all our work done in four days, we get the gift of time on Friday. So we actually call the initiative, the gift of the fifth, um, because you get the gift of time on the fifth day of the week. If you can get a full-time workload done in four normal length days. Um, and, and what that means essentially is that every weekend is a long weekend um, for, for us at Inventium. And that, um, you know, that it's a real game changer. I, like, I don't think I could go back to doing a five-day week. Mm -hmm. uh, like if someone were to employ me, I'd, I'd not that that's about to happen um and not that I want to be employed by anyone but uh it's funny I was I was like you know getting ready for work today it's um you know it was Monday morning here in Melbourne Australia where I was based and I was thinking that I do have to you know speak at an engagement uh on Friday and just thinking gosh um I feel so fortunate that that's the exception rather than the rule and I would really struggle to do a five-day week so mm. I think that helps me stay really balanced um and pursue other things on the Friday that are not about work mm. yeah that's uh you know one of the things that I um that I really like about improving your productivity is that you can get more done in the same amount of time and then you don't have to work as much basically <laughs> what you've mm. guys implemented successfully because mm -hmm. uh, in the past i i thought that improving productivity w was about and getting more things done but also working more so making more even more progress but um as i just went through life and saw how um you know how much you how much time you lose by getting tired or 
you know, burnt out or close to burnout. I think that's um, one of the most common themes that I that I hear when I talk to friends or readers or students. This is the thing that just always comes up. It's like, okay, how do you stay consistent, <laughs> right? How do you uh, make sure that you keep keep going? And I, and I always uh, love to hear, you know, how you know people like yourself approach it because there's no right or wrong way, right? Because some people, it's just like working out. Some people are able to work out every single day without getting burned out. And some people like myself, <laughs> when when I do strength training, I ideally need to take a week off every four weeks or so. Uh, so, so what are some long-term um, strategies that you've maybe have heard from guests or from yourself to kind of improve the enjoyment of life and uh, but also mm -hmm. focus and productivity etc over uh, over years or potentially even decades mm -hmm. right yeah. i think something that helps me is being very clear on what my values are and then looking at my calendar and i use um a combination of google calendar and also reclaim um reclaim.ai i think is, is the link for that software and i like looking at my calendar i'm a big time blocker so i will book meetings mm. with myself to do things um from desk work or deep work that i'm doing through to when i'm going to the gym and obviously um you know or social engagements uh and and i like to and a color code so that it's really easy to see how i'm spending my time and and asking myself like if someone else was looking at my calendar, would it be obvious what I value? Um, or would they just think that I, you know, value doing email, um, which I don't, uh, although I do do my email. Um, so that, that I think is just for me, a really useful strategy to think about at a macro level, how am I using my time and does it reflect my values? Because I think for a lot of people, you know, it, it doesn't like for me, health is one of, um, one of my values. I, I just believe so strongly that if, if I don't have my health and if I'm not looking after my physical and mental health, then I'm no use to anybody else. I'm certainly no use to my daughter. I'm no use to my partner, my friends, my parents. And so, um, in my diary, I would typically time block, um, four to five hours a week where, I'm exercising, doing like um, weight training in the gym is is my kind of go-to exercise. Uh, and, and that's a meeting that I take really seriously with myself or with my trainer, if I'm training with my trainer and, and that just reflects my values. Um, and, you know, likewise, I, I'm pretty proactive with thinking about my friends. So I'm an only child. And for me, I've always said that friends are the family that you choose. Um, which might also, you know, be true for people that do have siblings um, <laughs> as well. Yeah. Uh, so I am very proactive with kind of going, I know what fills my cup in terms of how much social interaction I want to have with the people that are close to me. And I look at my diary and I'm like, have I got enough this week? Is it mm -hmm. kind of in balance? Um, and, you know, with work, uh, prioritizing deep work over shallow work um you know a la cal newport um mm -hmm. who i know you've you've spoken to i think we're mutual fans um <laughs> you know making sure that i am spending enough hours doing deep focused work and making progress on things that matter so you know i think that like i do obsess over my calendar because that's the indication of how i'm using my time and therefore what mm -hmm. i value in life yeah yeah yeah, I I think that's that's a really good point. If you are satisfied with the way that you are spending your time, and this is actually one thing that I was thinking about over the last few days, and I was also checking out your book and thinking about these concepts, is that the thing that often pops up is uh, sleep. And um, one of the things that I was thinking about is that if I put in a good days of work and I am not really referring to just, you know, actual 
career work or writing or but working out reading like the or maybe talking to a friend or spending time with a friend or getting the most out of my day on all the values that i find uh, important then i i just fall asleep within like five minutes <laughs> you know <laughs> and, and and the days that i may be like unproductive or unfocused or like just alone or whatever like not not a lot of interaction etc those are the days where i might be a little bit more restless you know and i don't know if there's something that you've noticed as well or ever popped up but i think this uh, i just was recently talk thinking about it and i was like oh yeah wow that that's actually a, a, very, a very interesting relationship you know like did you are, are when you look back on a day or they most people don't do that actively, but probably subconsciously, um, where you think, oh, I had a really nice day. Then it's a lot easier to fall asleep, right? Uh, That's so interesting. Yeah, I don't yeah. think I've thought about that before. And like, I am I'm very obsessed about sleep. Mm. Like sleep is so fundamental. And I think yeah. I'm obsessed about it because I had very bad insomnia in my 20s and saw sleep doctors and you know, spent some nights in those observed sleep labs, which where you're, you know, attached to like 40 different cords and how <laughs> anyone is meant to sleep in a sleep lab is beyond me. Uh, but, um, but I take sleep really seriously. I've got a lot of routines around sleep and I've done so many experiments on myself around sleep, but I think, um, you know, look, a couple of things I know for me is that, um, I need at least an hour to decompress. Um, if I, like, for example, we're, we're recording this podcast in um, at nighttime for me. So it's, uh, it's eight o'clock at night. And I know for me that, um, you know, I'll need like at least an hour after this podcast to properly decompress and almost rest my brain so that it's ready for sleep and prime for sleep. Whereas if I tried to get to sleep immediately after recording this podcast, I would really struggle because my brain hasn't wound itself down. So, you know, all, all technology is, is put away about an hour before the time that I, I want to be in bed trying to get to sleep. Um, I also try to wake up um, within about a one hour window. Um, so or more specifically, like typically between 6.30 and 7am now um, seems to be the time that I'll naturally wake up and get out of bed. And I feel if I have a morning where for some reason I sleep in a bit and then I get up a little bit earlier the next morning, I will feel jet lag, I think, because I'm I'm so regimented in my sleep routine. So, yeah, I do try to get up at this, around the same time every day um, to prevent that jet laggy feeling and I make sure that at the, the tail end of the day I've got mm. about an hour to just wind down my brain. Mm. Yeah. How, how do you do the winding down? Is that the same thing every day or is it different? Yeah. It's reading a book, a physical book. So I don't, um, I don't read on Kindle or iPad before bed. Mm -hmm. Um, although Kindle's not that bad because the lights are, you know, yeah. sort of, yeah, sort of emulates a, um, you know, a, a physical book, but, uh, yeah, I would typically read uh, a hard copy book and that is my, that is almost always how I, wind down mm. for the day. What kind of what kind of books do you like reading in the evenings? Oh look, I um for the last few months I've I've been through a complete binge on fiction. And mm -hmm. at the moment at Inventium we've um we're, we're doing this thing called BPG, which stands for big personal goal. And everyone on the team mm. has committed to a big personal goal that they want to achieve in the next six months. And mine is to read a book a week. And mm. I was intending to read a nonfiction book a week, but then it actually took the joy away from reading the nonfiction because I was so caught mm. up in achieving this goal that to kind of keep up, I had to sort of skim over certain things just to to hit this number and it was um taking the joy that I get out of reading and so now I'm alternating between non-fiction and fiction although I've, I've generally got one of each on mm. the go uh so <laughs> yes <laughs> well that's a pretty pretty cool uh big personal goal because and it helps you to wind down and you're achieving yes. your <laughs> personal goal and uh it, it's it's great that you brought this up because 
I really believe in having a big goal uh, for yourself, uh, not only on a personal level, but also career-wise or you know, health-wise, relationship-wise. It, it just helps you to get focused and uh, work towards something. And I know you're a big fan of focus and getting into the flow. So basically winding down and reading a book in the evening is your way of focusing on on sleep and getting ready for sleep and mm. you talked a little bit about your morning uh, so so what is your uh, method for improving focus during those four days that you are working <laughs> well uh on an ideal morning i don't start the day with things that set me up to be reactive um Email would be the biggest culprit of just starting my day off to react to other people's stuff and other people's priorities. So I tend to keep email closed. Um, I, because I'm a big fan of time blocking, I will have essentially booked meetings with myself during the morning. So I know exactly what my main priorities are. Um, sometimes uh, like this morning, for example, my team and I at Inventium run um, what we call virtual caves where we, we're a remote first business. So we'll work from our homes or wherever we wish to work from. Uh, and one of the rituals that we have is that we'll all, um, or for those that want to, we'll basically dial into a Google Hangouts room uh, for a couple of hours. We will all nominate how we're going to spend the next two hours and then we'll keep mm. our cameras on but sound off and then we'll work and so there's a there's kind of accountability mm -hmm. with our team and what we're working on and so um this morning for example uh i spent a couple of hours in a virtual cave with my team and um and i uh i had to script a bunch of intros and record a bunch of intros and outros to um the how i work podcast and I find that having that accountability is um is is quite helpful in keeping focused. Uh, even though we're not talking, you know, everyone's <laughs> kind of up on the screen, and yeah. you know, I, it, it's um I find that I'm very productive during those sessions. Yeah, that reminds me of um a thing that was very popular during the the initial months or year of the pandemic of people uh, turning on their cameras while they were working or um, or studying. And uh, I can definitely see how that can help. And um, if, uh, you know, I'm always a big fan of if something works for you, then why not, right? Like if other people might find it silly or on the first, uh, when, when, some, when people hear about something new or different, uh, a common re response is to, you know, be skeptical or it's like, oh, what is it? Well, it doesn't make sense or whatever. But if it works, I think, why not? You know, like, and, and this is a, a great thing to, uh, to do, especially with your team. And also you could just see each other. And, uh, I, I really like that concept. Uh, and then kind of counter that a little bit with uh, solitude, which I also saw your, uh, your fan of. So how do you incorporate mm -hmm. that in the, in, in your life? Yeah. Uh, so I, I try to make time for, essentially not having inputs going into my brain. Like, I think it's really easy, you know, when say you're, you know, going out for a walk or doing a workout or commuting to an office, you know, for, for those that are back in offices, uh, like if you look around, you know, if you're catching public transport to work, for example, um, I know I used to like look around at people on the train and like, everyone was either looking at their phones or they had headphones in yeah. like essentially they were putting stimulus into their brain and it's quite um you know there's not a lot of time where stimulus isn't going into our brain and i think i i got this tip originally from cal newport um when he wrote about this in digital minimalism about doing an experiment where you give yourself time to actually be in solitude and allow um, thoughts to come into your brain where, you know, you've got that freedom because you're not just 
pushing stimulus in there. So for me, like I'll try to go on a walk where I don't bring my phone and I'm just kind of present and, you know, or, or like off with my thoughts, but not because I'm consuming stimulus more because mm -hmm. I'm just thinking and letting things come into my brain. Um, you know, likewise, when I work out, uh, you know, I used to always be listening to podcasts when I was mm. working out and doing doing fitness things, but now I'll deliberately try to have some time where I'm not. Uh, and I just found like when I started doing that, just the creativity and the ideas that came flowing in was mm -hmm. quite overwhelming because my brain wasn't used to that, that solitude or that silence. Um, and I just, I recommend it thoroughly to, to anyone that feels like they're always just consuming stimulus into their brain. Yeah. It's pretty funny for us to recommend <laughs> not listening <laughs> to podcasts, but yes, I, exactly. I totally agree. Yeah. I really love the concept of solitude and that's something that I've been incorporating more in my own life over the last several years. There's a book called solitude, I think, um, by this British philosopher, written about 20 years ago or something. I can't recall his name, but uh, I, I recently <laughs> referred to it in one of my <laughs> articles. <laughs> uh, it, it is called Solitude, but it, it was really good because he, um, he and I'll add the link to the show notes, but um, he was referring to the difference between Carl Jung and Sigmund Freud, where Freud... I think was had the opinion that, and you obviously know this better. <laughs> you're trained in this. <laughs> uh, that um, your your past kind of determines your actions or your future or whatever it is. And Jung mm -hmm. believed that wasn't the case, where you had like a clean slate every, basically every moment. Is that correct? Do I remember that correctly? Uh, yeah. Look, they're they're both sort of, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. Look, there. Certainly, Freud would say that. Um, you know, it's sort of like your, your sort of how you are. Your, you know, your preferences, your issues. Um, yeah. your hot buttons are all sort of formed. Um, you know, in your childhood and with your relationship with your parents. Um, Jung is also sort of quite psychodynamic mm. um that's sort of I guess the the school of therapy that they would both fall into um but uh yeah I, I'm I'm certainly of the belief and and certainly with the therapists that I've seen in my life um that you know uh a, a lot does get um sort of determined by how we're brought up by the style of parenting um you know, by, I guess, the, the culture of our household. Um, and uh, yeah, that, um, that, that certainly influences us a lot, um, is my belief. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and uh, in, in the book, I think the author uses some, uh, some quotes and some phrases from Jung's work, and, and kind of talking about the importance of character and, and knowing yourself and how most of us never really, really think about those things and i think solitude is actually the best way to figure that out obviously you also need input to try different things um to see what you like and how you respond to things but the way that you process it is through solitude but also reflection and um you know i saw there's a section on reflection in your book and it's also one of the things that i always return to uh, and for me, it's simple journaling. You know, I prefer to do it every day. And, and particularly when I have a lot going on, I actually do it every single day. But some of the moments where I'm very focused on executing. So, for example, over the last two weeks, I, I finished up the first draft of my new book. Congratulations. And, yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and it was quite intense. And, 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 and. I didn't really journal at all, but, but now I feel the urge again to start journaling and thinking about, okay, what are my next moves and what did I learn and, and how, how did everything go? So how do you incorporate reflection and what does that look like for you? Or is it the same thing or is it dynamic? 
Uh, I definitely am a big fan of journaling, but I'm very inconsistent. I mm. find that uh, probably during um, times that are a bit uh, tougher and more challenging emotionally, I I will journal more during those times. Like if I look at my my pattern. So I use day one um, mm. software for my journaling. Same. Yeah, yeah. I, I do. I do enjoy the process of reading through past entries just to to kind of see where I've come from. I find that a useful reflection. Um, and then there's a, there's a website that I love. I think, let me just look this up now. I think it's um, called futureme.org maybe. Yes, futureme.org. And this is where you can actually write a letter um, to your future self. So you write it now and then you schedule it to say send in six months time. And <laughs> for the last few years, I have done that every six months. So I'll think about where do I want to be in six months time? And I will reflect on where I am at the present when I'm writing the letter. And it's, it's, it's quite a beautiful and also interesting thing to get a letter from yourself that you've completely forgotten or it's an email, um, not a letter, uh, like, um, you know, that you've completely forgotten what you wrote, uh, just suddenly arrive in your inbox one day with, um, where you were six months ago and what your, what your goals and sort of dreams were for this point in time where you're receiving the email. So, uh, that I found that a really, really, um, the fun and interesting thing to do. Yeah. So what, what did you uh, write to yourself in the most recent one that you received? Oh gosh. It's um, I try to think about all aspects of my life. Like I love your six spokes theory, which we talked about when you came on how I work. Mm. So I'll, I'll typically go through um, what's happening with work. Uh, what's happening with family. Um, there's always the wish for for my parents and my daughter to be happy and healthy and particularly for my daughter to be thriving at school and enjoying it. Um, I, I I went through a divorce three years ago. And so I think um, my most recent one was, um, you know, like hoping to have uh, you know, found a loving relationship. And indeed, like in the last letter that I received from myself, I had, which was um, really nice because I'd spent mm. lots of time dating um, <laughs> and not achieving that goal. Uh, and um, there will often be something like around health. Um, there might be a health mm. goal that might be um, strength training related or because I've had like a couple of injuries that, you know, it might be for, um, you know, to, to sort of have my body working perfectly again um, and be injury free. So there, there's some of the things that I reflect on. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's, that's, uh, I like that concept of, um, of it kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, when people say, well, I speak my goals into the universe. I always <laughs> <laughs> I always think it's a little bit silly, <laughs> uh, but, but, I, but I do think it, it, um, it, it can influence your actions, which is obviously, uh, I think the goal, right. Of, of, mm. of this process kind of yeah. writing down. And I think that that's why I like journaling when you translate your thoughts into words, mm. it influences the way that you act. Mm. And I think that's a very powerful concept that, um, if, if, you know, if, if people are not journaling or not having this type of uh, process in their life, I think it's one of the, the biggest ways that you can improve or uh, ensure that you live a more deliberate life. Mm. And one of the things that I often notice is that um, when I look back at my older entries, I might have certain goals or objectives that, that I want to achieve, but they, the, the timeframes are often a bit wrong. <laughs> you know, I might expect, oh, you know, in one year, um, you know, I've, I finished a, a book or a course or whatever or something and, and or have, I don't know, let's say 50,000 subscribers or et cetera, et cetera, in the past. And then, it didn't happen in a year, but it happened maybe like in a year and a half or two years. Um, the goal and, and was correct. And I also achieved it, 
but I was wrong in the time frame. And then sometimes when you get overly focused on the time frames, then you can get discouraged and quit before you get there. You know, and I, I, I think that's, you can really avoid that with, with being more mindful and, and reflecting. Is that something that you, you've, uh, you've experienced as well? Yeah, something that I think about with goals, and I I wrote about this in TimeWise, actually, where, you know, and um, I originally heard this from Professor Adam Alter, who's uh, at the Stern School of Business at NYU, and he's not a fan of goals because he said the thing with goals is that until we hit the goal, we're failing. So let's just say you've got the goal of I'm going to lose 10 kilos. Um, like when you've lost five kilos, you're still failing. You're failing until you've lost 10 kilos. And that's pretty depressing, like working towards something that you're failing, failing, failing. And then you succeed, hopefully, when you get to the goal. <laughs> but then as humans, we just move on to the next thing. So we don't really sit in that sort of feeling of success for very long. And so what Adam does is he does have like goals or end points that he's aiming for, like to write his next book, for example, but he will set systems, like often daily systems that will get him to his goal if he sticks to the system. So in the case of, say, writing a book, a 100,000 word book, the system might be to write a thousand words a day for a hundred days. And if he sticks to the system, he will reach that end point, but he can feel really good as he goes because he's sticking to that system. And so for me, like when I was writing time-wise, I definitely applied that concept. I had a system of how much I would write every day. And so I could feel like I was succeeding, even though the end goal of, of writing the 70,000 words seemed a long way away, um, a depressing way away uh amount away uh when i was you know sort of right in the middle of the the writing process yeah 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 i, I can relate to that concept the way that i deal deal with that is that i'm i'm always very flexible with my deadlines and i i, I only set goals that i control so i never set any goals that are outside my controls in terms of you know how much money to earn or you know how many readers or anything that i have uh, no control over. I, I try not to focus on, and um, I, I try to be ambitious with the goals that I set, but very flexible if I don't achieve them. <laughs> you know, it's like okay, my goal was to finish uh, the book, for example, last month, or I did make it. Well, I'll finish it next month. You know, <laughs> uh, and then, but I, but I do make sure that I. Uh, set more ambitious goals than, for example, with the publisher. So, I, so when, when the goal that we agreed on with the publisher would be finish it by January, my goal would be finish it by September. Mm. So I'll have you know a lot of space to be flexible still. With, yeah, exactly. <laughs> with myself, <laughs> and, and everybody has their own. Or everybody should have their own uh, system for 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 dealing with this concept, because like you said, we always go to the next thing, but, but I, I think if you spend some time thinking about all these concepts, you can make sure that the next thing is something that you actually want or something that's good. Um, mm. because otherwise we just end up, end up chasing one thing after the next. And, and that's why I, I also really like that you focus on not only on productivity, but also on well-being and and social aspects, connection, um, making sure that your energy is is uh, is good, and and that that's something that I also always find important because if you're not enjoying your day, then why are you doing all of these things, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I think that focusing on energy is really underrated. Um, you know, like for me, I try to take quite frequent breaks during the day. Um, you know, I, I will not be at my best if I work solidly for four or five hours without a break in the morning. Most people won't be at their best if they're working under those conditions or in back-to-back -back meetings. So yeah. um, I take breaks very seriously. I never used to, but um mm. But in the last few years, I do. And I find that that um, does wonders for my energy, particularly in the afternoon. 
Yeah, yeah, that's uh, it's so important just to stay energized throughout the day. And um, you know, one of the things that I'm uh, curious about hearing from you, uh, as I was, I'm also just finished my own book. Um, I, I thought the short chapters and the summaries and and the actionable items were were very interesting. How did you go about creating the structure? for this book and, and writing the book. So I assume that you initially came up with this idea of writing mm-hmm. short, short chapters and, and clear takeaway. So how did you come to that conclusion to, to do it like this? Yeah. So I knew that the book was going to be about some of the most impactful, but kind of novel and quirky strategies that I'd heard from guests on how I work. Uh, and then I, I'd sort of, I'd selected a lot of the strategies and then I was thinking, you know, thematically what makes sense? Like how does one sort of structure or group all of these, all of these different techniques? So I did know that it was, it was going to be a series of shorter, like sort of 700 word kind of chapters, like one, one technique per um, chapter, if you like, uh, but yeah, but that you know, but the, but they are grouped into seven uh, themes, as as you would know, like structure and energy and connection, um, and uh, and and um, focus and things like that. So that was that was quite tricky. I, I basically I remember taking over my dining room table and I um, wrote out all of the different strategies and it was almost like playing Tetris um, mm. to kind of go. <laughs> what makes sense in terms of the journey to take the reader on and what are the different themes that, you know, the, the sort of bullseye person that I had in mind for who I was writing this for would be interested in and, and wants help with. So that um, it, it took a good couple of weeks, I would say, of messing around to, to land on what was the structure. Um, and interestingly, uh, with um, Penguin Random House, who were the publishers, normally the editing process um, with them is that there'll be a structural edit, which is the sort of the major edit after the first draft where they'll sort of give feedback on sort of the macro sort of components and the overall structure. And then you'll move into a copy edit, which is more around the details. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, it was, um, the, they liked the structure so much that they actually skipped the, the structure mm. edit stage. So oh, I, nice. I feel yeah. like, you know, the, the, the two weeks of agonizing over the structure, um, paid off. So I felt quite happy about that because yeah, I- when I was in the weeds, <laughs> it was quite painful. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I agree. I think I personally also think that the the structure is the most important thing before I start writing, because if I don't have the structure and and an initial layout of the um, chapter titles or chapter ideas, then I find it I I just can't start to be honest <laughs> mm, without mm. that structure. Uh, you know, I know some people, you know, start writing and start writing some chapters or etc. and then kind of figure out the structure later. But um, for me, I, I just can't even start, which is quite funny. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and uh, and, and uh, finally, I think uh, what's so great about writing a book about productivity and, and these types of techniques is that the book writing process is a great way for you to validate these techniques. So were there also some things that you initially wrote about or wanted to include and then thought, well, maybe it's not that useful or maybe, you know, it's already covered or I don't know, any type of concerns you had? Yeah, look, I definitely didn't want to just rehash productivity strategies that are covered in every other productivity or time management book because the world mm-hmm. doesn't need that the world doesn't mm-hmm. need that repetition um but certainly there were strategies that i wrote about in the book that i was applying as i was writing the book so uh for example um greg McEwen, who wrote essentialism and effortless um i'm a big fan of his work and uh and i interviewed him on on how i work actually when I was in the middle of the writing process and he just um, 
released Effortless. And we're talking about his concept of upper and lower bounds where when he was running Effortless, he would think about what's the what's the minimum amount of work that I would be happy with during the like to do in a day and what's the maximum where I will just stop because I know that like you know if I write for hours and hours um I'm not just going to hit diminishing returns I'm going to mm-hmm. hit negative returns where I'm mm-hmm. negative returns where I'm actually making things worse because I'm like I've, I've, you know, my brain is not working anymore because, you know, it's, it's quite intense brain power when you are writing a book that you're using. And so for me, I set upper and lower bounds of what I do every day on the book. And so my, my lower bound was writing 500 words. So it was kind of like a short chapter, but my Mm. upper bound um, was writing three chapters or about 2000 words. And I knew that like I just didn't have it in me to write more than 2000 really decent words in a day. And so that prevented me from just going too hard on any given day and, you know, sort of burning myself out prematurely. Uh, but, you know, I could still aim high. I could still go, well, you know, today I'm going to try to get to that upper bound of 2000 words. But as soon as I hit that, I'd be like, that is a good day's work on book writing. I'm going to move on to, you know, something else now so i found yeah. that concept so valuable yeah well uh, yeah that, that kind of ties in with the the sleep part right when you have mm. that feeling of a good day's work i think then it also i i personally um sometimes when you watch tv shows or movies or whatever it is in the evening it kind of feels like uh, for me, then sometimes it feels like a little bit of a waste of time. Sometimes, mm. um, but when I have that feeling that you ju- you just described, it just feels so relaxing and uh, mm. <laughs> uh, like it's 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 the best use of time, which is very funny because it's the same activity, but because your day was different, it just feels different, mm. which is I think what makes us human. <laughs> all right Amanda thanks for being on the show time wise available now um so what's the best way for readers and listeners to learn more about your work uh they if they're a fan of podcasts they probably are because they're listening to this show (laughs) um they can search for how I work wherever you're listening to this podcast from and time wise is out now um if you look for timewise on amazon or book depository there are a couple of easy places to get it all right so thanks for being on the show and uh maybe until next time <laughs>